Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 44 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for, uh, for stopping by. Thanks for checking this out. Now, this episode, I have to admit, is a little bit selfish. I had known about this guest and, uh, and their product that they've had for a long time now. And I've always kind of selfishly wanted to know more about it, but never really went there. And I started getting into more and more design stuff um, obviously print related and, and you know, just a refresher. I'm not a designer by trade, so I'm learning and growing with this. Um, and I wanted to know more about this particular, um, particular product. And I thought who better to reach out to than the founder and CEO of this product himself to learn more. So today on the show, my guest is Nick from Astute Graphics, the founder and CEO of Astute Graphics. And, you know, Astute Graphics makes amazing plugins for Illustrator to help you create incredible graphic design and incredible printed experiences so much easier and quicker. You definitely have to go check that out. But I'd, I'd seen them and known about them for quite a while. And this is not a sponsored episode. There's no affiliate link or anything like that. Astute Graphics just makes a great product. And I was personally curious about it. So I, I reached out to Nick and turns out that Astute Graphics really started with a print background in mind to make designers' lives easier for creating files for print. I'm like, that's fantastic. That's exactly what the show's all about. So me and Nick had a great conversation about print, the history of Astute Graphics, the tools that they have, and how they are helping designers every single day all around the world. And it's just a great conversation. Nick is a genuine, kind guy, and he shares everything with us on this episode. He also, in the end, shares where you can learn more, and they've got a whole bunch of great free tutorials to really show how you could put the Astute Graphics tools and products to, to use, essentially. So that's it. This is not a sales pitch episode. This is a selfish interest episode that I thought, you know what? I'm going to share this with the listeners. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get right to it. My guest, Nick from Astute Graphics. Here we go. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Nick, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? Thank you very much, Dave. Yeah, no, thanks for inviting us. Yeah, all good. And you? Awesome. I'm doing terrific. It's an early start here, but I think it's like, what, five, just after five o'clock on your side? Uh, yeah, just gone five. And yours, nine a.m.? Yeah, nine, nine, ten a.m. So um, you just fin- you're just wrapping up Tuesday. I'm just starting Tuesday. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm lazy. I'm only just starting myself. Um, get out the old Bailey's <laughs> coffee. Yeah, no, no, all good. I love it. A little bit of Bailey's in the coffee. Why not? Awesome. Well, Nick, I wanted to kind of kick this off by just having you introduce yourself and tell the listeners who you are, what you got cooking, um, and then let's get into a little bit of story time. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically the founder of Astute Graphics uh, came up with a, a crazy idea for making it a bit easier for designers and uh, people in pre-press and we do plugins for Adobe Illustrator. So now head up a team of uh, 14 of us. So yeah, really, really good tight-knit team and so well, my 15th year on this game now, which is yeah. scary, very See scary. That? Yeah, terrifying, but also, hey, you're on you're on this roller coaster, so you might as well keep riding. No, you know, I'm al- I'm also fascinated about like the business side of things. So, can you give me like a little bit of like the startup story for Astute Graphics? Like, did it start with you as a designer, and you came into you know Illustrator like, why doesn't it do this? And so you just decided to make it. Like, is that? Oh, God. you know, uh, as we're all in the pre press or the print or the design side of things, there. Uh, we've all touched on Adobe Illustrator at one point in our lives. Mm-hmm. The background I have is not in uh, even on Windows or on Mac. It was on a, on a British platform called RiskOS, and it was um, it was called Acorn at the time, and that became ARM. We all know ARM now as the chip mate, you know chip designer for things. Anyway, they, design, they have their own computers many years back, and that's where it came from. So I couldn't stand Windows, and I didn't really understand Mac. And eventually, uh, after I pretended to be a graphic designer, long story, I was a, a design engineer, went into technical illustration, pretended to be a graphic designer commercial, and I was employed as a graphic designer for several years. Uh, uh, they forced me to use Windows. And I was screaming and kicking my feet and having a tantrum. Every single toy was flying out the pram. Anyway, so I was given a Windows machine, get used to it. And eventually, I had to use Adobe Illustrator. Boy, did I hate it. Oh, my God. God, the first couple of years, I I come from a system which was uh, highly, highly intuitive, really innovative, um, yeah. and it had fallen behind the time. So don't don't get me wrong. By the time I'd converted over, it was going behind the old systems I was using. Uh, it became something called Zara. You might have heard of it, might not have heard of. It. Most people haven't heard of it. Zara Studio. It became that, and that's where it sort of came from. And and I was thinking, I remember one time trying to apply a transparency, uh, um, a gradient transparency to an object. And I was hitting my head on the desk and how the heck do you do this? And it took me a day to figure out that that was a sort of learning curve that Adobe Illustrator had at the time. And it's got better, but you know, it was really, really frustrating. So anyway, so that's the background. So I basically kept on pretending I was a graphic designer, uh, making uh, pictures for people um, in an aerospace industry eventually and a security industry training journalists how not to get blown up in Iraq at the time, those sorts of weird things that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to use macOS, felt a bit more comfortable with that, still using Adobe Illustrator, and there were, it got to the point where I went, I designed this beautiful thing for the aerospace industry, and it was a massive posters, massive wall display, the whole thing for a show. Spent three months on it, and then as every single designer has experienced this, the marketing manager director came in, and took one look, he went, I want it more blue, and walked out again. <laughs> yeah, we've all had it. Well, I want a bit big, I want a bit small, I want it more blue. I want it more blue. What do you mean I want it more blue? You could have told me like, you know, two months ago when you saw the first two shots. <laughs> so um, I had to basically spend a month redoing it because there was no make it more blue button in Adobe Illustrator. <laughs> that, that didn't exist, and I couldn't explain to him, oh, you make it more blue, you just t- change it blue. No, you can't. Anyway, but, you know, he said, you can in Photoshop. And I went, yeah, you can. In, and I was thinking, yeah, you can in Photoshop. Of course you can. You know, you got your 
all your levels, hue sats, and all that, all those uh, color adjustments. Uh, and there wasn't an issue. I thought, this is actually ridiculous. Why not? So I searched around. There was no solution. So I had some history with software. I'm not a developer myself. I'm not that clever. Um, found a developer who was clever. And he developed this thing. This, this a guy called Eric uh, in Holland. Um, and he developed this plugin called Phantasm. And he, I spec'd it all out. He did it for me. And that's how it all started in 2006. There you go. Long story, very short. <laughs> all, the yeah. pain, all the pain taken out. <laughs> there you go. No, I like that. So this, this, so this software, Phantasm, that's the first plug-in right off the door. You're, you really had it created for yourself. Was it just for yourself at that point? Or did you envision like, oh, this is going to be a business. This is going to be a thing. Yeah, it, it, part, part. It, it basically, I wanted it for myself to actually be able to use mm-hmm. Illustrator. Um, but I did have it in mind, thinking, you know, this, this really could be good. So I kept on going back to Eric and saying, oh, can you add this? Can you add this? Can you add this? And, mm-hmm. and this, and this, and this, this. Because I hadn't thought, because once he, he sent me the first versions, I went, oh, blow me like, actually, this is powerful. What I didn't realize is that Illustrator is exceedingly powerful. I mean, really, really, really powerful. There's... Um, I met a fantastic uh, manager at a massive sports brand, and he looked after all the technology. Uh, this is several years ago. And he, I was having a good chat with him, and he said, look, there's only two bits of software that are really powerful out there. And this guy had access to everything, 3D, 2D. He said, Excel and Illustrator. And he has a point. They are so both long in the tooth, so extensible, so mm-hmm. um, capable of doing things in a trillion ways. That he's he had a point. They they were exceedingly powerful, and and I started to find this and thinking, yeah, you can actually push Illustrator to do things which it isn't naturally designed for, um, but it, it does it, and it will sometimes grumble, <laughs> um, sometimes kick you in the teeth, but you know mm-hmm. you can make it do things which others can only dream of. Yeah, and that's that's what the joy of it. You know, that's such a great point, Um, Excel and Illustrator, because on both of those softwares, I have seen complete wizards in Illustrator and Excel. And when they, you know, speaking of Excel, when they create those formulas that spread over entire sheets (laughs) and go transfer to multiple pages, you look at that and your mind is just blowing. How is this possible? (laughs) How does it get there? And then the sixth page on the fourth line in the third row over here. Um, just amazing. And same with Illustrator, somebody who really, really knows it inside and out and knows how to, you know, manipulate it in a way that, like you were saying, it's not designed to do this. But if you understand it enough and well enough and what it's trying to do and what it's capable of, you could make it do things that you otherwise hadn't been taught to do. Utterly, it, utterly. It, it could be used for UX. It couldn't, obviously, can be used where its origin is print. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be used for branding. It can be used for cartography. There's a, a massive plugin um, by uh, another developer out there. And it's, it's absolutely vast. And you can create the biggest maps in the world, and the biggest maps in the world are created on it. And, you know, these are astonishing things that actually take place. You know, it's so much data and all. And it can be bent to do anything you like and mm-hmm. it's even it's they're going back to actually doing more 3d in it now so they're going to put more 3d capabilities into it now yeah. uh, that's adobe and it can do it 
you know, I was just thinking about, you know, making those gigantic maps and detailed maps within Illustrator. Can you imagine trying to do something like that on the computer you were telling me about before we hit record with the eight megabytes of RAM? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, oh the, the beautiful days of pain. Yeah, no, but we're, we're all spoilt. We send off um, an email and it may have a tiny HTML format signature and all that. And that email is like 32K with virtually no content whatsoever. And I'm just about from the era where the first computers used had 32K of RAM. And somebody had made this game in Britain called Elite. And it's still, I'm sure it's still around. I, I'm not games player, I'm afraid to say. But I, I played this game called Elite and it was able on 32k of ram to have a whole 3d world in it with eight galaxies i remember as a playing as a kid and you know you could fly a ship and trade and all this sort of thing in 32k now we can't even send a flipping email in 32k <laughs> and it, it says at the bottom please uh, do responsibly and don't print this email Dada. the fact that somebody's put that in has added a whole load of data to that email which has to be stored somewhere <laughs> the irony has not lost on me uh, but you know it's that idea what what is you know what? How we're spoiled we are nowadays with our phones and everything. And and I think you know, pairing it back to the minimum. What what can you do with a minimum is actually a very very useful thing to keep in the back of your mind. If you only had one megabyte, you know, of RAM, which obviously can't do that nowadays. But if you only had one megabyte, what could you actually create? Well, actually, quite a lot if you think about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite an interesting strategy yeah it's almost like the strategy of designing and creating with constraints like you know you know it's almost the worst situation for a graphic designer where they get given a project and say like whatever you come up with it's yours just just run with it see what comes up well no 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 give me give me something here give me some kind of walls or borders like you hate pink so don't make it pink like like give me something yeah yeah oh i mean i i have to confess i I was always a pretend designer. I never had a proper, proper design background, mm -hmm. but I've experienced a lot of the pains that, you know, true professional designers, designers who I really stand in awe of nowadays, you know, the, a very good friend, Von Glischke, is a, a friend I, I made a long time ago through this work. And he does actually, what, when he produces something, it's actually very small file size, but the amount of precision and all that, he, he knows a constraint, but he's also... A, a brilliant designer so he understands it from a designer's point of view what the constraints should be or perhaps what should be imposed on a design and it's mm -hmm. very healthy to not be given every single option and ironically considering we develop software tools to not be given every software tool on earth as well being selective about what you're using mm -hmm. is actually very very healthy as well it's almost a fun little challenge sometimes to yourself too, right? It's like I'm gonna create this vector file, but I'm gonna keep it under one megabyte. Let's let's see what we can do, right? It's, it's kind of a you know fun exercise to come up with those kind of challenges. Yeah. And and every des uh, printer would love you for it because oh my god, I I have I have made enemies with printers left, right, and center. <laughs> Here's my file, rasterized, only to three tr uh, terabytes. You know, I've I've knocked it down as far as I can, and you, you see them looking at you going. Oh, for goodness sake, it's only a rectangle. Yeah, but it's a beautiful rectangle at three terabytes. You know, you can see people, you know, they're glazing over, but you have to understand what it's going through, like what RIP has to do on the previous mm -hmm. side to convert mm -hmm. your fantastical mind into something with, you know, made of ink on a bit of paper. See, I've seen both ends of the spectrums. You know, if I narrow it down to business cards, I've seen business card designs submitted as an Excel file, and I've seen business cards <laughs> submitted that are one gig. 
in size. <laughs> so I've seen them both. I've seen both ends of the spectrum there. Oh, God, yeah. 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 Unfortunately, I'm the one who gave you the one gig one, probably. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> after, after saying about everything about restraints and whatever, yeah. It, it's, exactly. It, it's a do as I say, not as I do. <clears throat> so Nick, I want to talk a little bit about um, your history with print a little bit. Can you tell me what your earliest memory of printer packaging is? Something maybe from when you were a kid, when you were a teen? What's your earliest memory of printer packaging? Oh, you overestimate me. No, it's when I was actually um, we, oh, no, no, first no, the first one would have been when I was in a software company that I co-founded with a developer in the late 90s and we had to produce uh, brochures and pack then do you remember cds folks hey remember what those round things were the um, compact disc a compact disc yeah it wasn't very compact ironically <laughs> now we think about it in this no. day and age um <laughs> yeah, well, you couldn't fit in your pocket but yeah so things like um uh, printing onto the later so you know we're not talking about bubble joe you know fairly high volume printing onto a uh, compact disc so you're limiting yourself this is the going back to limiting it starts off like uh, we're only going to limit to three inks for cost purposes because we're printing x many and obviously being screen printed uh, you know, there's uh, you know time involved with each single ink, so we'll limit ourselves to three prints, and then whittling it down to two print, uh, two inks. Sorry, apologies, not prints. Uh, whittling it down to two inks and making the design even better with just two inks. So you use a substrate, in this case, a shiny CD, which is a brilliant substrate if you think about it, and yeah. try and make that part of your yeah. design. And you know, then thinking about the trapping, because obviously when you're screen printing uh, on CDs, the um, margin of error was pretty big. So, you know, the chopping was pretty big as well. So how do you disguise that uh, and manually doing all that rather than, you know, clicking a button or asking the rip to do it? Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably the first serious one involving inks. Mm -hmm. So from your childhood, I'm going to push on this just a little bit. From your childhood, any any particular toy, cereal, Christmas morning, like action figure box, anything like that jump out to you? Um, two. First of all, you, nobody on the uh, interview can see, but on the, behind me on the webcam uh, are basically all my Lego toys, right? Uh, no, no, they're my sons. No, no, they are my Lego toys. Um, well, no, and, no. When they're space ones, they're cool. They're it's oh. like you know. Oh yeah. You know, mean, if you have like a the Lego Friends picnic playset, we, you know, <laughs> we'd be having a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. Lego was one of the fundamental um, factors in creating my imagination when I was young. What I love is creating. If you know, basically, when I when there's a um, headstone put up for me, it will be something along the lines of at least he tried, um, <laughs> and you know, he, he, well, it's created something new. I mean. <sighs> When, when you leave this planet, you want to have actually added something to the human development. You know, what what can humans do now that they couldn't do before you actually entered on this planet? If it was a case of uh, eating five Mars bars more than anybody else, that isn't really a great achievement. So it has to be something that you say, yeah, I'm proud of that. So Lego really helped me sort of ensure I had that imagination from an early age. And I played Lego until in the teens. And then I rediscovered it when uh, our son came along much of my wife's great disappointment because all the Lego now surrounded me and I've run out of shelf space. Um, but that and uh, Tamiya models. So these Japanese uh, racing cars, uh, radio controlled racing cars, and they, they're beautifully made at the time. And in fact, Astute Graphics is named after 
one of their models, the Astute. Uh, so that's where the name comes from. And so the covers of these boxes were produced in the 80s in Japan, 70s and 80s. Beautifully airbrushed detailing on these boxes. You're absolutely beautifully finished. Um, and these boxes are meant to be thrown away. And I remember I kept the lids off for quite a few and cut them out and all that because they were fantastic art. Somebody had put their heart and soul and probably a good three months, four months of their lives into creating one image off a, a dirt racer, you know, with mud flinging out. And then you think, oh, can I rec recreate that? And I realized I didn't have the patience at all to recreate that. But technical illustrations, yeah, now that's where I, I start getting, because you see those in the, in the Lego brochures, or brochures, the instructions. And you see beautifully created technical illustrations. Every single page is one, you know, and it has to be clear, it has to be functional. And so when I did design engineering, that was that natural thing to go down that route more and more of technical illustrations and showing how something very complex works. It comes mm. from those toys, basically. Okay, I just did a quick little Google, and I wanted to make sure I brought this up to make sure I got the right thing here. <laughs> but um, I think I found it. And I just want to make sure. Let's see if this jogs the memory. There you go. Oh, that yeah, the, that's it. The, the superstar. In fact, what I could do, I you, I can raise you um, a webcam image, and I can actually pick off the wall from next to me. The actual. Oh yes, you actually so, have it. That's amazing. My hand, yeah. So it's actually sat next to me because I, I love it. It's, it's one of those things, and I airbrushed it when I was a kid. So I put. In fact, that's your first astute graphics logo, which I started at the age of sixteen as a doing graphic designs on the side, um, on the back of it, and airbrushed the front <laughs> and so all cool. that. So that is actually I won't try and put it on the wall again, but that's actually the thing next to me, and that is what the company's named after. And we talked about that a few years ago in the company because nobody knew about it. Yeah. And if you see, you got it on the um, your screen there. So things like the wild one down at the bottom, which is a car I had, uh, and Astute and the Avante. These were all iconic models. Actually, they're still made. They reproduced because there's a massive um, sort of you know sort of groundswell of uh, yeah, exactly. I, I don't I haven't got into that, but it's sort of I kept the original one. And well, you look at the prices on some of these things. Like these are six hundred, seven hundred bucks Canadian, oh, yeah. or five hundred, six hundred bucks US. Oh yeah, it's fine. Well, people, uh, I mean, the one I, you know, the one I had was the Avante one. You're beautiful. Oh, again, and I thought, oh, I'll get one again, and I saw it like six hundred quid with UK pounds. Oh, you're kidding me. I'm not doing that. But <laughs> it's no, actually, sorry, my wife said you're kidding me. You're not doing that. Yeah, um, here we go. The details really come through. <laughs> no, she's very, 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 very supportive. I have to quickly say that because she's on the other side of the door. Um, <laughs> she's so. witness for all of this. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so, so then, Nick, fast forwarding a little bit, we've talked about some sort of back in the day memories of printer packaging. What about recently? Have you had any recent interactions with print or packaging that you've come across that you really enjoyed or really appreciated? I think we all appreciate when we get an Apple package. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I, I, I dread to say this because the packaging is obviously, you know, several facets. It isn't just the design. It's the quality of the material. It's mm -hmm. the precision, the finish of the actual manufacturing process. You know, when you, I am terrible. I, I, I have to say it is a, a colleague from years ago when I mentioned this software company from years ago. Um, 
Simon, he fantastic guy. He knew everything about pre-press uh, and packaging, and he taught me everything I know, and I never learned anything more beyond it because he taught me everything about inks, about like the opacity of inks and how they interact, and da 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 da. And it's that curiosity. And he gave me this terrible, terrible fiction. It's when you go down a supermarket aisle, you get a packaging off the shelf of you know juice or you know a confection or whatever, and you start mm. looking at, it and you don't look at, hmm, that's tasty. No go. How many inks do they use? And you start peeling back the thing. How many of those registration marks are on the back? Oh, oh yep. they used eight inks. I could have done that in five. You know, I mean, <laughs> you start doing this. Uh, and, you know, you forget it's an actual product to consume. And you go, oh, that's really nice. And, you know, you take, you know, when you finish a carton, you take it apart and go, oh, how do they fold that one together? Because it, it's part of the design. Designers, obviously, you've got the visual, you've got the tactile, mm-hmm. um, using the... You know the different stocks for. I, I love doing this. I, there's several paper companies in the UK that were really high end, and he kept on asking for samples. You know, they gave beautiful packs of samples of all the different yeah, papers. Watchbooks and beautiful things. Oh, beautiful! And then you'd ask how much it was, and you go, "Okay, we'll use normal stock as normal then," uh, because it was so expensive, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you go, and I, there's only a couple of times I managed to say we are going to push a boat out and use this stock because, and when you get it back in your hands, it's got a slightly waxy feel or something. And it really elevates the product from being mm-hmm. every day to something actually you don't throw away. Uh, and no. it's very, very rare. Your client will let you play like that. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's where um, there's a little bit of like sales tactic that comes in there. But I, I know what you're saying when you, you know, you look at the pricing of some of these luxury papers, like I've seen them as high as $12 per sheet. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, so this customer needs to buy a thousand sheets at $12 a sheet. And I know as the printer that I'm going to blow 200 of those just in my setups and things like that. Like, what is the math on that? Like it's, but that end result, when you get that finished product, when you've used a premium paper, it, there's just something about it that is more special than using a house stock or something, something boring like that. Right. It elevates it for sure. So yeah. And it brings the blood pressure off the printer high because a lot of the, like if you have had main papers, the bleed is atrocious. So you have to print like 100 sheets first to get it just right. And then, like, yep. you know, like I say, that's $12 a pop. Um, it's an expensive hobby. Yeah, exactly. you got to set up on something cheap and then, you know, run cheap, 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 cheap. And then yeah. one or two good ones. Okay, let's have, just have a quick look. Yes. Stop there. Two. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Nick, before we dive into wanting to to learn a little bit more about Astute Graphics here, I wanted to to first touch on... Um, some early days print projects that you've been a part of. Um, I want to learn just a little bit more about your history in, in design and creating some of these things. And then um, then let's get into uh, Astute Graphics and some of these plugins that um, you know I've specifically noted here. So let's set up a little screeny screenshot. I messed up my screenshot. I had it all set up and I just messed it up when I wanted to look at RC cars. But... <laughs> Are <laughs> <laughs> oh, you addicted? You'll, you'll be bankrupt now. Um, go for it. Perfect. So this is, you know, what do I got here on the screen? This is um, sort of some early, um, oh, what are they called? I used to drive these things. Um, oh, these are te- uh, telehandlers. Uh, That's the um, there yeah. we go. So uh, this is a company. First job I no second job I mm-hmm. had out of university. The first one uh, it was like a. 
uh, added automotive engineering design. So that is not the pretty bits of a car, but the mechanical bits of a car. And I went out and did, got a job, and it was an American company in the UK. And after six months, uh, they said, right, we're getting rid of you. Oh, okay. So I found a, that, was, that was a very quick lesson in what the world is like. So then I found another job, and we were making – we. Yeah, I joined a company that was extremely established, making cabs for things like uh, JCBs, like Caterpillars, you know, small uh, material handlers, you know, large ones or fun, things like that. So – I went in as as a design engineer then, so I was you know professionally employed as a design engineer. And I remember the one of the first jobs they gave to me, which is really unusual. They said, "Hey, look, uh, this large uh, German manufacturer, they were, uh, I think they're called Lindy, and they make these very smart forklift trucks. And they, the cabs were designed by Porsche, uh, the you know the car design uh, designer, mm-hmm. but they'll do industrial design. And we need to replace something. I said, oh, that's, that's interesting. Right. The, the manufacturer, they don't want to go back to Porsche because Porsche are expensive. I said, that's a surprise. And <laughs> I said, but I tell you, they want to have something which um, uh, somebody can sit in and it's called a side loader. So it's a very narrow cab, but we want a bit more size because at the moment it looks like a rectangle. What's a surprise? Well, so okay. I, I did then all these design studies. Right. It's going to have curves. Uh, the doors are going to open like a Lamborghini. Uh, you're going to go and it's going to be like space invaders inside. Okay. You go on so you go along after a few months of doing all these proposals you know tame it down a little bit and they look and they go yeah actually the client just wants a rectangle (laughs) (laughs) it is just like the graphic design world you go yeah but that will cost like three you know dollars more so shall we just go with what we did before but this is design and whatever so so these were the technical illustrations uh when i was employed as a mechanical engineer to actually try and convey an idea so um that's where it comes from that's when i got more and more into the technical illustration side on how to present things so like you got images of cutaways to show mm. a flow of liquids in something that obviously you can't visualize normally uh, and having to from very basic principles draw um proper vanishing point artwork on quite complex 3d forms without 3d tools so this isn't like 3D <laughs> software. This is actually from yeah. first principles, working out the old technical, and I had to do technical drawing at school, thankfully, mm-hmm. on a drawing board, thankfully, because you learn very quickly how to do, how to create shapes using first principles. So that's where those things are from. Don't do that anymore. I've got software <laughs> no, for that. There, I was going to say, there's software for that nowadays. There's software for that. <laughs> it takes time. Okay, so, so some of the early days, you're creating these, um, you know, these technical drawings and working out the 3D aspects of them. Um, and even, even when we get into pictures like this, and I'll put these um, photos up on Instagram in, in mm. a carousel for this episode as well, so the listeners can go just sort of have a look at what we're talking about. And um, laugh at my artwork. Because it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. And oh, fully yeah. support your growth, Nick. <laughs> just <laughs> encourage your growth. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get, um, what is going on here? This almost seems like an art piece because it's got like just this different perspective going on. Oh yeah, yeah. This is this one. Now, my favorite artist in real life. I'm, I'm afraid I I'm not a very arty person. So like, you try and make me quote like a Van Gogh, or whatever. I haven't got a clue. Um, mm. My favorite artist is Escher, M. C. Escher. Uh, the impos- impossible 3D imagery that he did. Because again, it's more sort of technical illustrations. More, and in fact, he himself said, "I'm a mathematician. I'm not an artist," which is interesting because he was an artist. But you know, he saw himself as a mathematician. Yeah. Um, and this is, I did a poster, and this is on the machine which only had 8 meg of RAM, and I had to do something 
a 300 DPI A3 or a slightly more actually poster on 8 megagram. Wow. That took a month just to wait to, to load. That took a month late, wait to load. Anyway, it isn't finished because I couldn't be bothered waiting for the thing to load all the time in chunks. But it, it sort of, it was finished enough and I went, ah, I'll sell it. And that's the only time I've actually created artwork to sell as mm-hmm. when I was a gra- pretend graphic designer. And that's in there. So it's got references from Escher. And people actually liked it, and I don't know why. Um, and it was sold <laughs> around to, it went to Australia and things like that. Still haven't figured out why, but... In fact, somebody inquired about it the other month after like 30 years. I see you did this. Have you got another copy? I went, oh, God. I don't know. Anyway, so let's come back. Anyway, so there you go. So that's, that's the post. And then uh, this next photo here, this was is some of what you were talking about with your two-color screen printing onto Compact Desk, onto CDs. Yes, absolutely. And this has used some software that that colleague I spoke about uh, you know, in a previous life. Uh, doing software with Simon, and he created this thing called Truism Ink Simulation. So you could chuck any ink at it, and it would simulate what it would look like if it if you combined them. And you could also chuck an RGB image, and it would split it across any ink channel. It is still by far and away the most sophisticated ink simulation system I've ever seen. And when we tried to punt it, people went, ah, it's too complex. Because it already got to the point where they were going to digital printing, and you haven't got that flexibility with uh, inks and the costs, et cetera, which is a great shame because it was a fantastic bit of technology. Anyway, that was a CD for it, so, See, Vantage, I feel like I'm, you know, back in the burning CD days, you know, I've seen so many different variations and designs of of screen-printed CDs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... uh... It's an art that's, that's gone now. Ah, the, the, okay, so what's, what's next on the carousel, folks? Um, it's something <laughs> called Chunk. Uh, so uh, I worked for the aerospace company in Herefordshire, and uh, the owner had set up this uh, wheelchair company, which mm. it actually sounds completely unrelated, and in many ways is, but it's using engineering principles to create something actually that was quite innovative. This mm-hmm. I didn't have anything to do with the design of the, the actual product. The product designer did it. He was very talented. Well, a, group, a small group. Uh, and they came to me because I was designing these aerospace things and they didn't have a design. They said, well, can you do the brochure for us? And I saw an opportunity to really, because uh, they said, well, we want, you know, we've got quite a size show. We want quite a size brochure. I went, yeah, <laughs> we're going to get the paper samples out now and uh, we're going to spend money. And yeah. even like, how do you um, bind these ones? We went, no, we're not going to use uh, staples or anything simple like that we're going to use manual plastic bounding rivets you know and thing mm-hmm. and it's like that's what you can see in the image and we went for this sort of real over-the-top approach so i had spot colors chucked at it um spot oh, i i love when you have spot varnishes if you use them ca- uh, carefully you've got to use them on the right stock and i didn't quite get the stock right but anyway it doesn't matter um and we made this sort of thing, which was uh, increasing size pages as well. So a real pain to make. The printers hated me for this one. Absolutely hated <laughs> me for this one. And the, and the cost really showed in that. Um, but it was wonderful. It's a re- I've kept one copy. It's a really tactile thing. And beautifully done photographs that were done in London that I had to then learn how to use Photoshop to... Mm-hmm. really tweak the photos etc and change the color so for example there were different color options for the material and we only photographed one color so i had to tweak this i had to learn how to color grade a little bit i'm still not very good at that or i'm not very good at photoshop so i had to learn those things and then put this whole thing together in i think it was all done in illustrator that was and that's where 
you know, one of the things, again, I started using uh, Phantasm commercially on that mm-hmm. in my paid job. So I paid for the development of software that was actually used in my day-to-day job, but it allowed me to do things that you couldn't do. So I already started seeing how the plugins were being of great benefit there in Illustrator. Interesting. So this was still before, you know, obviously Astute Graphics started and was it was an actual company. This is just a guy who's got a plugin for Illustrator that, you know, really helped you with your own personal workflow in your day job. Yes, absolutely. I mean, so it started, so 2006, it was, I started on the side, it, you know, I, I did it in the weekends and the evenings and all that. And the daytime I was mm-hmm. you know, nine to five in, a, in an office. Um, and we, we started to see that when I say we, uh, this guy Eric in in Holland who's developing, we start to see well, there's a bit of an uptake and a bit of a, a demand for things. And I, I, he just did the development, and I, I just contracted him. Hey, can you make this thing? And and so it was completely owned by myself, which is actually in hindsight a very good thing. And he was very good. Uh, he we continued working together until 2010. At which point he won a because he did other things, he won a Google challenge and won a big prize and went, oh, well, I'm going to wind it down my work with you because, heck, I don't need to do work. And it was very good. He didn't say, oh, bye, to, you know, tomorrow. And at that point, um, it was 2010, I went, okay, we've got a one-year-old son. Mm-hmm. We've relatively just bought a house and got married, um, my first house, and I've got a steady job. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to chuck all that away and I'm going to start the company full time because I could see the sales are picking up. And it's something mm-hmm. at the point where it was, it was, I could live off it just about. So 2010, then Eric said, well, okay, you know, I, I can't do it. Okay, fair enough. And I, I can't um, say anything but good things about Eric because he started to allow me to start all this up. At mm. which point I got in contact with somebody else who was making plugins, John and for adobe illustrator and i contacted john and i said um you know i like the plugins you make um i didn't 100 percent understand them at the time they were very different sort of plugins mm-hmm. but would you want to join me <laughs> and he said uh well first of all he said uh, not sure <laughs> then he, then thankfully he said yeah go on there. and he, i've worked with john longer than anybody else and so we've been working together for over 10 years now and he's been one of the founding members of the core team of what has become a student graphics as we know now um and then uh, another guy dimitri uh, he was another guy who's developing plugins said do you want to join me too <laughs> it's like the merry band of plugin makers uh, we started um getting larger and larger in this so i, I would do like the websites and all that and they'll do the the well, the hard work basically mm-hmm. making plugins i'd i'd come up with these specifications and then they would uh, achieve it and more they'd create these brilliant things uh, it's got to the point by the way where i just hold up a sticky note to the screen and they can I have something like that <laughs> and they go yeah we know what you want and yeah we know we can do that yeah and get into yeah. the programming bit oh they're, they're brilliant they, they've We've worked together a long time, and thankfully, we've got a, an amazing team. That is astonishing team. Every single person in team um, does miracles. From yeah. uh, you know, obviously, we talk about the development side, and we've got uh, earth and development, web development, etc. But uh, support and marketing and uh, accounts. Uh, you know, basically, every single person has contributed to what the company is now, and I can rely on utterly everybody to do things without me having to in fact it's got to the point now where i know that if i am present in a project it's going to go worse than if i let them do it <laughs> so uh, it's Actually, a very healthy position yeah it's a good spot to be then you know you're 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 in the right place you've got the right team yeah. for this 
Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'll rewind a bit. Rewind. We're back at looking at the um, um, stuff on the screen. Apologies. Yeah, no, no. It's all good. So I wanted to also, the last one I wanted to bring up was this one here. And I believe this is the first and what you said were the only uh, brochure for astute graphics. Is that right? Yeah, beautifully taken, blurred on the floor. Um, yeah, I, sorry, that was a very quick snap out of it. So, yeah, it's it's the only one we have produced to the best of my knowledge. Uh, oh, no, we didn't. No, I tell a lie. We have done one more printed brochure. Apologies, that is a lie. But this, there's only two. And this is the first one, and it was just a leaflet, basically, a folded leaflet. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the one where I... <laughs> basically i was the client and the designer which is the worst combination because <laughs> then nobody checks hey is the message actually good because it's got a pair of scissors and a clown on the front and somebody said after i printed well um it does look like the clown wants to kill himself i went uh oh thanks i <laughs> you just printed all these things uh, um but yeah it's it's one where i went hey you know what we can do how how many passes can we run through you know, this local printer who I'd got to know in the previous job? How many passes can we do through the printer? He said, well, technically no limit. Because uh, he had a five-station uh, uh, Heidelberg. Okay. And I went, i tell you what, let's do two passes. <laughs> he just looked at me and went, I hate you already. I said, tell you what, <laughs> let, let's do two. He said, you're talking all about spot varnish and undercoats. I went, nah, let, let, let's do seven spot colors and a, and a spot varnish. Uh, he said, yeah, so you're not going to make the spot colors interact, are you? I said, yeah, let's make the spot colors all interact and do a spot varnish which interacts with it as well. And he just looked at me. <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm going to kick you out the door. Um, so he said, we can't, we can't do that because you get more effects. You know, you, you, there aren't enough angles, screen angles. I said, yeah, you can do stochastic, can't you? He just <laughs> he went, I'm going to have to buy some software for that. Uh, for the rip because the rip can you know is an upgrade to do stochastic spinning so stochastic is basically it's all random dots so you don't get any wow effects in theory um no. if you have everything done as random dots uh, so each ink channel is random dots i went ah, i go for it anyway i think they got a trial of this software which is just enough to get us through this one job mm-hmm. um and they were interested in it and they said uh, after the end of it you know thank you for showing us uh, this thing because we're never gonna do it again <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, no, okay. it was worth the experiment uh, but they, they did this thing, and it, and it absolutely doesn't warrant it. The final result doesn't warrant it. But it was sort of a technical challenge. It was also pushing Phantasm's tools at the time. It was a brilliant way to test, hey, can we do these separations? Because suddenly Phantasm, the plugin that originally was just color, in like hue, saturation, lightness, etc., became separations, previews, over-ink coverage, um, mm-hmm. over-print coverage, um, ink coverage preview. So how, you know, if you're over-inking things, so things go soggy. And I thought, well, I've got to test it. Let's test it ourselves. Let's do the world's most complex leaflet that is absolutely necessary and see what happens. And that's what we did. That's what the result was. Far too costly and far too pointless. But it was fun. The world's most complicated. <laughs> Utterly pointless. If you, if you did a cost analysis of that thing. <laughs> anyway, no, <laughs> what was the ROI of this brochure? <laughs> <laughs> How negative do you want to go? How negative is it? Okay, that's... It was a 12-month revenue was pumped into... No, no, it wasn't that bad. But it it was sort of... um, It proved a point. And it proved Mm -hmm. that the software could actually do what it said on the tin. And it was important to me that I could 
understand here are the pain points when you're actually designing it say because yeah. it had um, the half toning system which we might chat about later the half toning system in it so how far can you push the half tone if you expand all these dots they're all vector dots mm-hmm. how does the rip cope with that because suddenly you're chucking a million vector dots at a rip and the rip and i was told in no uncertain terms didn't like it um <laughs> i think it actually took three days to process this file um, holy <laughs> so this was like a, a brilliant study in not only hey let's create um, a brochure using our software but let's also push the limits of what we can do with the software and in print to really see how it all will come together. It was, it was like a, a real world complex trial that you paid for. Yeah, utterly, utterly. And you learn things to, you have to be pragmatic as well as there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of vector designers out there. And I was one of them very much. Everything has to be vector. If you do a shadow, it has to be a vector. If you do a texture, it has to be vector. If you do the X, Y, Z, and you look at you stand back and go, why, why, why did we do that? To be honest, if you create the world's most complex half tone in vector, you can do it in phantasm. To be honest, rasterizing it at say, if you really want to be, you know, over the top six hundred DPI, it doesn't really benefit. Anyway, if you really, if you say three hundred DPI, but you you rasterize, you go, well, that's just got rid of the whole point of half toning it in vector. Yeah, but that's the final stage before you kick it out the door. You can until that point you can edit it to your heart's content. You know the Illustrator will cope with it. Uh, the plugin will cope with it. It's the rip that's now going to have the problem. Mm-hmm. So um, be pragmatic and on the last stage, don't be afraid to flatten things out. Uh, you know, rasterize things where you're obviously not text if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, black open text has to be black over print text in vector. Uh, you know, but uh, it, where it comes to uh, illustration work. If it isn't very fine outline work, etc., to be honest, if you rasterize at high resolution, it's it's going to be good still. Yeah, and ultimately, who's going to be able to see the difference if you didn't versus yeah. you did? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Unless you don't know what you're doing, and you can see when people design uh, leaflets in Photoshop, mm-hmm. and the the text is in pixel form, and it isn't sharp; it's fuzzy. You've got anti-aliasing going off on the edges and that you can see and actually people even untrained people that sounds very pompous uh even the common people on the street can see it <laughs> even the uh, common folk common. no non-designers non-printers etc they, they mm-hmm. will see it as well um if it isn't pin sharp there, there is an element of subliminal sort of uh yeah that isn't quite high quality what's wrong mm-hmm. with it yeah, no, I could do that because even um, it is mostly people with with print backgrounds and and design backgrounds that are seeing and catching that sort of thing. You know, I'll look at um, a box or something in in retail for a box of crackers, for example. I'll look at it and I'll be like, oh, they they did that. Oh, I wonder why they didn't do it this way. And my wife will look at it and be like, it just looks like a picture of a cracker. Like, no, no, no. But and then I'm trying to explain it from from my side. Just, you know, they didn't need to do a seven color process on the cracker. Like it's a cracker. It looked fine. Just, just let it go the way it was. But yeah, anyway, I know what you're. I know what you mean when you're when you're saying things like that. Um, so we've been talking and looking through some of these older print projects that you've been a part of, some of the design work, and hearing some of the story about astute graphics. Um, I just wanted to sort of pause and ask the big question here for a second, Nick. 
why did why should designers care about print? You know, why is print so you know something like you said with your Apple box? You know, you hang on to that iPhone box or that iPad box because of that unpackaging experience, because of the materials used, because of the the cleanliness of that design. You know, it's hard to just throw it in the bin. So why is print so so important or sought after? Why do designers hoard really cool packaging and print? Oh, inspiration, isn't it? Is it? The trouble is um, we're going down the digital route more and more. Obviously, we, it's been going on for a long time. It's not <laughs> this is a revelation. but mm-hmm. um, And we get email. I mean, we, we send out emails, obviously. Lots of people send out emails. Um, Instagram, we put lots of stuff on Instagram. We do, we do all that stuff to, to get a message out there all the time. And mm-hmm. it's, it's like uh, catnip for designers, you know, a quick fix of here's the latest design. Yeah. Um, and that's lovely, and it it's got huge, huge benefits. And we're not talking about cost benefits because actually, when you start analysing it, the cost of doing these things is actually very high as well. If you're doing professional, you've got a professional designer doing things, etc. It's way managed. You try and sort out a Facebook uh, management system; it's hideous. Mm-hmm. They spend more time on that than actually sorting out a pre-press issue. Um, so it isn't that it's free. This whole idea that uh, digital marketing is you know free load of rubbish it's it's blooming expensive (laughs) and it's worth it but the trouble is we we are saturated now with stuff it's we're getting obviously to the point where we are making very determinate uh, decisions to say i don't want this material i'm going to filter out what i see because i can no longer cope with all these feeds so Mm -hmm. it's whether people are pulling back from facebook because it's too much or you know it's satan's own or whatever you know reason they they, they cite it's yeah. obviously satan's own now you, you know depending what you do on all that you you actually notice now when something comes through the post when a, a, a really i don't mean like the local flyer for the local pizza pl- uh, parlor no. i'm talking about a real quality bit of design that's come through the post and we're actually thinking you know, we're going to start um, more of a sales uh, division in Astute Graphics. That's our plan now. To actually have so we don't have salespeople in Astute Graphics. Never have. We're looking to actually employ salespeople in the near future. And one of the things I would like to challenge them—I'm not going to determine, but I'm going to challenge them and say—you know—think about the print. If you want to really connect with uh, a customer, mm-hmm. send them something. Uh, you know, when's the last time you've actually received something good that you want to actually hold and retain? In fact, I've only just chucked something away that I got as a when I was a, a product, um, sorry, mechanical designer, uh, many years ago. So we're talking mm, twenty-five years ago. Um, I received a, a very clever bit of marketing, and it was for a spring. And how boring is a spring? But they packaged it in so it looked like uh, an aspirin. And it looked like, you know, this is the solution to your problems. And it was done in a box, and it must have cost them a fortune. And I kept it for all those years until actually last week, ironically, and I chucked it out. And um, it's one of those things. How many things, how many emails have you kept from 10 years ago? And go, I'm going to refer to that again because that's beautiful. That's none. That's, <laughs> not, not, <laughs> that's, that's the easy answer. None. Not, none. There's a date. <laughs> And that's that's what you're seeing, you know, with this trend, you know, and, and COVID exacerbated what was already a trend. You know, there was this trend of this digital detox vacation. 
where people would be phone free, computer free, and they're just there in the cabin in the woods and the nature and a creek and fires and like like um you know that that was a growing trend, this digital detox. And COVID, of course, everybody's working from home and they're on a computer screen all day and then they've got their phone in the evening. And you know, it exacerbated that desire for a, a detox of anything digital. You don't want to see a screen anymore. Give me a break. So what you said about getting things in the post or the mail, you know, if you can send something to a, a something clever to a person, not just a pizza flyer, but do something different. Maybe that pizza flyer is die cut in the shape of a pizza and it smells like pepperoni. You can scratch and sniff and that smells like pepperoni. You're going to hang on to that. That's different. It's unique. It stands out. Um, so, so you see this this growing trend in direct mail coming back, partly in due to people are are longing for these tangible connections with brands and with companies, um, as well as something that's not on a screen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know. It's we we. Uh, I mean, I must say, I I miss every day when I do uh, design on computer. I miss being able to hold that design. Mm-hmm. and look at it away from the screen and have that tactile connection with that design. It sounds very uh, highbrow, that does. But there is something about a physical connection to something that you've mm-hmm. created to say, this is what I've done. It's something that all designers, I've found, when you talk to them, they miss that too. We're, we're not alone when we talk about this. Trouble is clients don't tend to sign it off anymore. I, th- I think it may come around again. We're starting to see it, you know, elements of it, but I mm-hmm. think it's going to gather momentum. It's a bit like people like listening to vinyl again. And I have to say, my ears aren't good enough to hear, but I, I can understand why, because there's also that tactile thing of holding um, a vinyl record, putting mm-hmm. it on a player, you know, yeah. putting the needle down on it. You've, you've committed to listening to that track. Whereas if you just open Spotify... As they say on the BBC here, other players are available. If you commit to doing that, all you're doing is clicking a single button. There, there is nothing that's really you've invested in that. And that's why you can skip so easily. Whereas if you put a vinyl thing on, on a physical player, you will listen to it more likely. And it's the same with uh, print. Because you've got it in your hand, you'll be more inclined to at least glance at it or turn it over onto the back. Uh, and then... If it's nothing for you, you're third way. Okay, but how quick did you make that decision with an email? It's literally open, delete. That's not even one second. No, you read the first couple of words or saw who it was from, just delete, be gone, it's gone. You know, even faster than getting a boring flyer in the post and you having to walk over and put it in the recycling. You spent more time with that recycling direct mail than you did with the email that they sent you the day before. So if it's all about time with... Um, you know, time in the hands or time with a potential customer, you know, print, uh, print is the way to do it. Print is a, is a huge way to do it. So with that being said, and print being so important, you know, and that's sort of my approach to looking at astute graphics. And I've heard about astute graphics and sort of followed along and saw, um, and only recently have started taking a closer look at it. And which is why I reached out to you and wanted to have a chat with you on the show and hear directly from yourself, you know, how astute graphics can aid 
a print designer, a designer who is looking to go beyond just digital work. And let's get into print. Let's get into these separations. Let's start using these half tones and, and creating spot color inks and things like that. Like where, how is astute graphics going to back up and help those, um, those designers on that print design? Um, well, there, there's so many aspects. The thing is we, we produce plugins. There's now 20 of them. And oh, this is a bit of a giveaway. There'll soon be 21. Uh, there's so many tools within them. So each plugin can have up to seven major tools, eight major tools within them. So we've got over 150 major functions. Where do you start? That's actually one of the problems that we have. You know, telling people where they could start and then to start to explore and get the teeth into it. Otherwise, it's a bit overwhelming. We recognize that. So from a, a say a pre-press point of view, we do tools that have been around for some time, such as the Inquest one, which is where you can produce actual separation. So you can actually produce a file, which each layer is made up of each ink separation. And then you can actually go and modify each layer if you want. And so if you want to do um, very specialist, well, tweaking with, you know, for the bleeding and et cetera, catering for that. Uh, you can do that. And actually, that's popular amongst people who do T-shirt designs, so mm-hmm. screen-printed T-shirt designs. They've said, oh, yeah, we use it for manipulating uh, our screens in different ways. So, for example, if you wanted to have a purposeful misregistration, so the inks aren't aligning correctly, which is quite a popular thing, so it looks very, you know, retro sort of thing with half-toning effect. Right? <laughs> it's like you the can podcast logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's the retro. No, but yeah, yeah, that's it. It's a very popular design. Yeah, that's exactly, actually. Uh, so, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> no, it, it is It is very popular. So uh, you need to put on a T-shirt. Um, so, yeah, it is that, that idea that you can manipulate. So we have tools for that. We have tools for, you know, like I said earlier, measuring the amount of ink coverage. Um, Rasterino is one for... It's a lovely one. It's actually a very small one that we do relatively. And it's one of the older ones. And it allows you to take an embedded image and click on a button and it'll chuck that image into Photoshop, even if it's a multi-ink image. Chuck into Photoshop where you can edit it in Photoshop. You save it in Photoshop, go back into Illustrator, click another button, and that image automatically updates. So it's an embedded one that so it goes in the background to Photoshop, you edit it, then it comes back and, you, and it sort of updates without having to re-embed, re-link, da-da-da-da, go over there. And that's a faff. So you don't have to export the file. It's basically this sort of magical link between the two systems. And I've always loved that because if I get a photo, in fact, I only just got it the other week. It's a photo of Adobe Stock that we're using. And I noticed in the top right corner, the, the background had been masked out, but they've, they've missed a bit. And I didn't want a vector cut it out because I wanted the actual pixels to naff off. So I did that thing, put it in Photoshop, got the uh, brush tool out, brushed it out, went back in. And that was such a quick operation. And it's those it's those small things that save your time. You know, when people talk about uh, Illustrator, hey, I want it to be 10 times the rendering speed. I would love it to... No, actually, what we've done for years is to analyze where does your time go in Illustrator? And to be honest, it's those small tasks drawing rectangles, editing rectangles, you know, <laughs> getting hold of an inch, moving it a little bit. You know, th- those are things which you're actually, when you analyze it, you're doing all the time. You're not doing weird and wonderful stuff all the time. And that's where I would suggest that it's actually the majority of our tools for things like editing that actually is what saves the most time for everybody who uses Illustrator. Mm-hmm. So the pre-press ones are specific, but if you have to go in and, for example, uh, like uh, Vector First Aid is a classic one. Um, 
is probably one of our most popular now. It's only a few years old. You chuck a file in it because you've got a wonderful client who uses Excel for everything or PowerPoint, <laughs> sends you the PDF that they created and they say, print that, go go print it. And you, you look at it and it's like, or you can't, you have to edit it first because some fonts are wrong or whatever. Yeah, You can't because it's, it's a complete mess and you don't know where to start. And it's, so you literally go into Vector First Aid, click one button, check document, you find out there's 50,000 errors, click another button and two seconds later, it's all cleaned up. And it's, it is what? magic. I Yeah, it is magic. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about that. What is it? So, what kind of errors is it going to be catching and fixing? Like, you know, if you know, is this in a case where a customer has supplied us something that is, um, you know, in not a design format, not a nice EPS, not a you know, a nice thing like that? It's it's a Word file. It's a PDF <laughs> exported from an Excel file. Like, it's something ugly like that. Yeah, or historic EPS that they dug up from the archives, you know, those sorts mm-hmm. of things, or imported from a 3D program. So it's got a trillion lines and they overlap and all that sort of thing. Um, so typically you want to tweak it a little bit. I mean, you don't normally get an Excel file or Word file or PowerPoint file and just chuck it straight through to the printer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you, you take it and then you find out it's buried within 100 clipping masks, which aren't necessary. There's mm-hmm. a clipping mask and a clipping mask and a clipping mask. And that's the way that PDFs are generated. PDFs weren't meant to be edited. You know, Illustrator is not a PDF editor. We're told a million times. Yes, it is. We all use it. <laughs> um, we all know that. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that. I'm sorry. I'm not going into Acrobat. I'm not that uh, silly. So yeah, you, you go in and, and you do an edit in Illustrator, and then so for example, all those clipping masks that are necessary, you just click one button, boof, it's gone. All those objects are suddenly accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got excessive points, so for example, things have been outlined and they have a trillion points in them and you can't edit it for your life and you click another button and it will smart remove all these points. So it, typically it gets down to about, if it's a really stupid bit of artwork, which is normal, 20% the number of points. So it'll get rid of all those points. Uh, so these are things that pre-press people love as well. It isn't just about the inks, it's about the actual structure of the document. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the editability of it and make sure you can tweak it and let's say missing fonts and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we talked about Inquest and how that can help you with separations. We talked about the Rasterino tool and now I've just been blown away by the Vector First Aid tool. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Phantasm because one of the things that I find really clever on the print design side is when, you know, talking about restraints again, when uh, a designer has been given an image and maybe it's got uh, they're printing on a colored paper slightly you know an off-white paper or a light blue paper or something like that and they want to create a halftone image or, or take that photo turn it into halftone or a duotone or something like that to just create a really unique look and effect that matches the vibe of the print piece with this colored paper and sort of play off of all of that in that kind of scenario when somebody wants to create that duotone or tritone is phantasm the tool to really aid in that process yeah there's uh, apart from so phantasm the core tools were the you know hue saturation color and they can all do the spot inks and all that so you know creating uh, getting an image uh, swapping channels on which you can do in inquest and then sort of making it a white undercoat based on a grayscale upper image if, if that makes any sense to actually put a base level on if you want to do that. all those things are in there but where, where it became very trick is when we started putting in the um uh, the duo tone is so you can do quad tone i know it's confusing because that's it was based on the photoshop one so you can actually pull in the settings file from a photoshop 
uh, duotone and put it into Phantasm and apply that duotone to vector artwork. But it remains live as a live effect. So you can modify the underlying artwork and that duotone oh. just updates. But same with the halftone. In fact, same with all those color adjustments. They can be done as, by default, live effects. It can also be done as filters where it, under, it absolutely changes it. But you, you know, if you want to do it as a live effect, you basically have the original artwork to fall back on. It's always present underneath. All these adjustments are done on top. So a bit like you know the using layer adjustments in Photoshop for your mm-hmm. colors, etc. It's the same. These are just live effects in Illustrator. So one which is very popular is the halftone one. Has we've had it for like ten years or more, and it's really popular. So it creates. Obviously, you can create a halftone in Photoshop, and there is a an effect, a native one in Illustrator. They create pixel-based halftones, so it's raster artwork. And one of our clients is, I can't really name them, but they keep on drawing mice. I went to the headquarters, and, um, and I remember being in reception, and they have pictures of mice everywhere. And I remember one column a support column for the building and they wrapped around uh, a halftone effect because obviously they had original old artwork and they couldn't scale it up so they applied a halftone and they did it in a pixel form and then printed it in a poster size massive you know wrap size and you could see the pixels they were literally one centimeter how many inches is that half an inch let's say that um it's all square and you're looking at it that is terrible this uh, (laughs) company that's meant to be for design and all I'm doing is looking at pixels. What the heck are you playing at? So Phantasm creates vector halftones, so you can scale it up the size of a skyscraper. And it'll just look at circles. And it does it properly and can do the inks again. It'll take a, even a multi-channel image and separate that to whatever you want. And you can apply the angles uh, for each single channel, etc. So it's re- again, this is the background that we have from print. We know what top-end designers needed to use, and therefore it's in it. Most designers don't care, but some do. That's why the banknotes of America and the banknotes of Europe uh, use our software at some points in their stage to be created and designed. And I'm immensely proud of that. I've asked both of the organizations who develop those banknotes for sample artwork so I can play around with it, and they've refused, which really oh, upsets that's me. Not, that's not I, good. Okay. <laughs> have the printer warmed up ready. Just yeah. the one hundred dollar note. That's all I want. Just the hundred <laughs> note. That's, that's the only file I'll need right now. <laughs> See, it's just for samples, internal samples. <laughs> that's all you're trying to create. I, I look genuine when I say it. I honestly do. Yeah. Sorry. You managed to keep a straight face through the whole conversation. <laughs> Good. Uh, the other what plugin that you talked about. Um, you know, with print and what I'm hearing from you, you know, starting this in 2006 and and that's sort of when it really kicked off, you know, digital design was just sort of like getting going. Like Instagram wasn't in full force. Uh, Facebook wasn't in full force yet. Like all of that, it was just getting started. So really the tools created really stemmed from designers are creating print and how do we give them tools to help them create more print? Uh, utterly utterly so anything which has to handle um spot colors mm-hmm. that's anything which hasn't handled images or you know vectors and all that has to handle them correctly so um for example we've got a plugin called stipulism which can create vector stipple effects which is really cool uh and it has to be able to create a spot stipple if it has to you know if somebody wants to do it and i would say i want it to be defined as a spot color 
it has to be able to handle that. It has to be able to handle the underlying spot images if it's got spot images because mm-hmm. somebody's going to do it. We we're talking about Illustrator. We, we assume that everybody's on digital art, but there's still many, many people in the pre-press industry, whether we like mm-hmm. or not. Too many still suck on CS6. Let's not go there. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's true. Uh, You're just trying to drop those updates. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, but it's, you know, there's a lot out there. So we have to cater for So we've worked in the past, and we continue to work with companies like Esco, who produce plugins as well. And our plugins, we know, you know, join with the workflow that Esco produces. Um, the great guys over there. And we have to produce artwork, which doesn't ruin their workflow as well. And the other one of the biggest um, sort of problems on the printer side that um, you know prepress teams run into is uh, a CMYK file arriving to the printer, and then when they open it up, there's actually CMYK plus seven Pantone colors somehow buried in there, and and in the mix as well. Um, is there a plugin or tool that? is within Astute Graphics that help designers really catch those things and and pre-flight better so that when they're sending the file to the printer, things are going to be lined up and correct. Yeah, so that's, that's going back to Inquest again, which is the most specialist one for the pre-press we do. Uh, it's the only one which is really for one vertical market for pre-press. Every other tool we do is for everybody, shall we say. Yeah. Um, so you've got two sides to Inquest. One is the swap channel side. So again, as a live effect or as a filter, you can literally take a channel, any CMYK or spot channel, and apply it as an, or sw- swap it to become or duplicate it to become another ink channel. And I played with this for a long time when it came up, doing whole tricks with this thing. Um, and so you, you can, for example, if you want a spot varnish, you may want to base it, uh, I found, on like this, uh, the key channel, the black channel. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite a neat trick. Rather than recreating everything, especially if it's a, an image, you take that image, and remember this is embedded into Illustrator or as a live effect. You take that image and you apply this swap channel live effect and you say, I want the key channel to also now be the spot varnish channel. And that's a live one. So if you edit the underlying image so for example using rasterino you go off and edit it somewhere else bring it back in it will automatically update that spot channel which is really neat so then you can go and check it by using the uh, ink separation tool now there is a quick ink separation natively in illustrator now so they have put that in since we developed it but there's also um, the ability to do the ink coverage and also the overprint preview. So, for example, Spot White, you know, it's a classic one. Again, there are some warnings natively in Illustrator, but it's not very obvious. So you click one thing, you go into the overprint preview, you go into mm-hmm. Inquest View Tools, and then you can see it will highlight in red where it's overprint white. And then you know, oh, hang on, am I have a problem here? It's very rare that you actually genuinely want an overprint white. There's some tricks you sometimes do with it, but that's extremely rare. Uh, and it also warn you of um, overprints in other areas. Uh, so what other objects are overprinting or what's over the um, uh, ink threshold for that document profile. So, for example, you may use a swap um, a document profile, mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, whichever one, and you can say take that in, and in that profile, it will tell you that the maximum allowable really for that uh, stock might be say three hundred and thirty percent if it's really good stock, and then it will warn you this area of the artwork 
is over 330%. This one is, say, between 100 and 180%. You're mm-hmm. good, but you know, try and knock it down. Or if you want to save ink, you, know, you can say, okay, this has got a massive amount of ink use. Can we knock it back to, say, just one ink and overprint it? Yeah, because that's the other, and that is the other problem that sort of we run into on the prepress side is you know getting, um, you know, a file where there's a bunch of layers on it, a bunch of inks at 100, percent and you've got you know CMYK built up to 400 percent in one specific area, trying to achieve a black. You know, when you can achieve just as good as a black by scaling those back a little bit and ending up somewhere around 180 to 200 percent coverage, um, yeah. you know, and really really clean it up. So. That's fantastic because th- that addresses sort of my main concerns coming at from it from the print side and wanting to know what would be the best tools for, you know, helping with layers and pre-flight and making sure that those are cleaned up and organized um, and correct for the printer and we don't have any rogue Pantones uh, in that file. And then also more on the design side, you know, aiding in the creation of those cool duotone effects and, and halftone effects and things like that. So those are those are the tools now nick i know it's getting near your uh, your dinner time there <laughs> so i don't want to keep you too much longer um but i wanted to know where can designers find out more about astute graphics and the plugins that you guys are offering okay that's a very simple one so astutegraphics.com uh that's the best place to go to we have the usual social media so instagram dot com slash astute graphics uh-huh. facebook.com slash astute graphics we we pretty we are pretty heavy on instagram to be honest because it's a very visual one yeah. and it gives you some lovely little videos so if you go to the ones over the last six months uh a fantastic uh marketing team inside us two graphics they produce these little videos so you have a little one minute uh sort of previews of what you can do more mm-hmm. on the design side uh, because it's hard to show pre-press stuff in a yep. short time on there, uh, but basically you go to there. But also, if you want the fundamental uh, background of all our tools, it's YouTube.com/slash/astutegraphics, cool. and you just search within our channel for Inquest or Rasterino, etc. And that's where designers can go and see, you know, shorter videos on these plugins in action. Utterly uh, and long tedious videos that i have made over many years uh you need a very strong coffee very strong Uh, but yeah we have short ones as well awesome that's good to see um so that's where people can find you yeah so nick i just wanted to say thanks so much for taking the time to be on this show and you know selfishly for me to learn more about astute graphics and what you've created and how it could really help us um also in teaching designers proper prep for print and exporting for print um so thanks for taking the time to be my guest today on the show absolute pleasure it's obvious to talk about print again rather than on screen graphics so thank you very much no problem, man. I did hear you correctly that Astute Graphics will be creating more print to get in touch with designers. Is that right? Is that what I heard? That's our intention. Yeah, definitely. We'll <laughs> to this yeah, 100%. All right. That is the end of today's episode. Do you see that right in the end there? I called them out. I'm looking forward to seeing some print to come out of Astute Graphics. Uh, looking forward to getting to see some brochures or whatever else they're going to put together, but just some print no matter what. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to this episode. Definitely go check out Astute Graphics to see what tools they have cooking there and how they can help you in your graphic design career and in creating awesome stuff. That's it. If you are digging what you're hearing here on the Print Design Podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening, and leave me a rating and a review. I really appreciate it. They make me smile. They make me feel warm and cozy inside like um, like hot chocolate. <laughs>
or, or warm coffee. Nice hot coffee. That's it. We'll see you next week.